now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Bugs and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From class to cult, from the cheesy between, the movies are beef. The entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti, joined again by Mr. Al Giaconetti. Good morning, Jay. How are you doing today? Good. Today we go back to my birthday, <laughs> 1948, for Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. Yeah, and we'll talk about it right after this. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. Come on, take it all out. Now! Bring out, Chick! Come on! Savannah, come on! Wait a minute! The nation's top comics, Abbott and Costello. Petrified, but hilariously. <laughs> Plus the dangerous and terrifying Wolfman, played by Lon Chaney. Plus that fiend out of a nightmare, the vampire Batman, Count Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi. Plus the most dreaded creature of them all, the Frankenstein monster, played by Glenn Strange. Plus a couple of luscious but designing females in the spookiest laugh fest on record.
Abbott and Costello Beat Frankenstein was released in June of 1948. Now, whether it's June 15th, like the AFI catalog of feature films says, or it's June 25th at the uh, Los Angeles uh, Forum Theater, whatever it technically might be, it's June of 1948. Um, and it was uh, Universal Rights did actually, um, didn't actually own a copyright in the film until August of 1948, <laughs> which is part of a problem. Um, so I uh, just want to throw this out there. This actually, this movie is the most successful film in the entire Frankenstein series, right. outgrossing, of course, 1931's Frankenstein, mm -hmm. which was released over and over again. And you'll find this interesting. It was the highest grossing movie of the year for Universal International, along with The Naked City and Taproots. I've never heard of Taproots, but Naked City I've heard of. Yes. Um, but the, but like, and it was literally uh, on a, on um, the budget was just shy of 793000 and a estimated 3.2 million on initial release, 1948 money. Right. That's not. That's not now money. That's right. 1948 money. Good gravy. Yeah. Uh, your director is Charles Barton. Now Charles Barton, um, he he won an, an Oscar for best assistant director in 1933. Um, he was uh, he was known for uh, the. Uh, Wagon Wheels, which starred Randolph Scott in 1934, stuff like that. He he passed away in 81, but he was um, his, excuse me, his, uh, some of the other films he had done, um, he had done Abbott Costello, Meet the Killer, Boris Karloff in 49. That's the one that's probably most closely related to this. Um, but he had done some uh, earlier movies uh, like Car 99, The Island of the Doomed Man. And then he was more known uh, for doing TV. He actually did... Um, uh, 78 episodes of Amos and Andy. He did 17 episodes of Zorro, 90 episodes of Dennis the Menace, 38 episodes of Petticoat Junction, and 106 episodes of A Family Affair. Wow. Yeah. He was a, he was big. Again, he started out in Hollywood, made these kind of things. But, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, that guy worked solid from 1950 to 1971 making TV shows of shows you've heard of. Right. You know, yeah. like those are major shows. I mean, the ones that are 60 episodes long back then you usually had a run of 39 and then just so uh, a couple of years working on yeah, a show then you go to the next show but like right. you know into a hundred episodes of petticoat junction yeah. so like i mean petticoat junction is a name people remember i mean yeah. those are not you know unknown names so your screenplay credits go to uh robert lees uh frederick ronaldo and john grant uh your producer here was uh robert uh robert uh author or arthur excuse me robert arthur um, and of course, your um, your production companies were Universal Studios International, uh, Universal International Pictures, technically uh, distributed by Universal Pictures. Um, and then your uh, your what do you call it? your music was Frank Skinner, and your editor uh, was Frank Gross, and your cinematographer was Charles Van Egger. Now, Charles Van Egger um, was a, he was German. Um, and he actually made a name for himself in the silent film era and then went to work for Warner Brothers and then eventually got over to Universal. Mm -hmm. He was he had bounced around a lot. He had passed away. Um, he actually was technically born in Port Jervis, New York, in you know, but he was of German descent and made his name there. Yeah. Um, Jason, did you did you uh, come across who did the uh, the makeup? Because the the credits go by so quickly that I mean I, I stopped it. I don't I don't recall seeing anybody getting credit looking for for makeup. I don't have, I'm trying to see if I have a makeup credit here. I don't see one. That's part of the problem. It, well, 1948. So this is late in the game for Jack Pierce. 
Right. Uh, because his, well, his follow-on guy was Bud Westmore. Yeah. I mean, it could be Bud Westmore that, that did it because his the 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 uh, the actual makeup looks. I mean, very very similar. You, I don't think you'd want to go to a a different look for Lon Chaney. Uh, in, in okay, so in, the Wolfman makeup. We know this has changed. So if you go back to the original Wolfman, right, the makeup was much more leaving um, in the inner parts of his face. On like there wasn't hair right. on the inner part of his face, but the makeup for the Wolfman changed even from the Wolfman to uh, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. And any other time you saw the Wolfman, it's changed. Yeah, and you have to remember all these all the Wolfman movies. The first one was 1942. Yeah, so, so it's not, we're yeah. only seven years now with with all the different iterations. Right. Well, I, but it also was part of how he changed the makeup and how he applied the makeup. Yeah. Um, the thing is, and I wish I was kidding. Um, if you said to somebody, describe Frankenstein, they're going to actually describe, not Boris Kolar's Frankenstein, they, they think they are, they're going to probably describe Frankenstein from this movie. It's going to be Glenn Strange's Frankenstein. Glenn Strange's Frankenstein is the Frankenstein most people think of. In fact, Haley did this as part of a school project where she said to everybody, draw Frankenstein. And she talked all about the makeups and stuff. And um, we had actually had um, Ebony Amber and uh, you know John LeMay and people like that give Haley quotes about like, effects and makeups right. and stuff like that. Right. And, kind of, and like how important Frankenstein is Frankenstein, the, the, the story of Frankenstein is to science fiction and modern science fiction and all these other things. Um, the Wolfman makeup that if you said to someone describe Lon Chaney's Wolfman. You're probably getting this movie. I wish I was kidding. Right. The way the hair, his, so the way his, the, the, it's hard to describe so having built different versions of the Wolfman and painting them to match the correct things, the nose is different. Um, the Wolfman nose, if you look, um, changes slightly. It's always kind of like, I want to, I don't want to say piggish, but it's more rounded with not with the nostrils are a little different. It's looked more like a snout, but instead of a snout, like a snout you would have for like American Werewolf in London, the howling right. and things like that, it now has to be flattened. Um, the original was much more, was more rounded in that I'm trying to do that. And they, they kind of went away from that a little more, but then they started darkening in his skin much more on his face. If you go back and look at the original Wolfman and it's hard because a lot of it's in the shadow and stuff, his face is not nearly as dark. His face is much darker here on his right. cheeks and eyes and the amount and where the hair goes to the hair is actually further closer into on his face, covering more of. Lon Chaney's actual face. Yeah, I think they would, that was the first use of the, an appliance, and mm -hmm. and you know, well, well yes, the one thing that, for 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 the for the Wolfman, mm, it, they might have used it on Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Well, oh, yeah, but that it, might it, have happened. But yeah. still, yes, I understand what you mean. It's, it's definitely not the same makeup. No, in the original. No, because the the original makeup was that anything we've ever read said it took hours. Yeah. To, to apply it, and it had to be done. Very, well, he, they, he applied the hair they, originally. They, yeah, because the yeah. transformation is, and it, this was amazing when I when I they would actually put his head and box it in, yeah, so that he didn't move. Yeah, and it, so can you imagine laying there or whatever, however you had to have it, yep. and have the camera click click click. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Those things we take for granted nowadays yeah. Yeah. Um, were all done literally, not just in camera, but like literally as you're laying on the set. Um, but I'm saying, yeah. So if you look at the makeups there and, it's, and that's why some of them changed. But if you describe the Wolfman, um, he, the original, so the original one, it's more of a kind of poof up hair here. His hair is a little more slicked back. Right. It, it It's just different. It's slightly different. 
it's not drastically different. It's not like you're saying American Werewolf of London and right. like the yeah. Howling. They don't look anything alike. They both are werewolves that have snouts, but Baker's Werewolf, of, the American Werewolf of London, and Botine's The Howling, Howling. they were made the exact right. same year, and they don't look anything alike. Whatever one you like better is your choice. That's fine. But I'm saying, but if you look at them, the American Werewolf of London on all fours, the gray, the what, all the different look, the way the snout is, it, you have a snouted uh, uh, wolf, right? A, a humanized snouted wolf, and then the Howling, it don't look anything like that thing. It looks completely different, yeah. which is a why when you get like movies like Dog Soldiers, yeah, they yeah. pay homage to both together with exactly. the coloring and the cut. That's like yeah. that, right? Here, what? Um, so what's the other? What, where's the other werewolf to compare this to? Um, it would be oh, the, well, the movie The Werewolf in, in, the, in the early fifties, right? And that is is very different looking. That's a, I mean, that's the ears are along it. I mean, it's a great if you've never seen The Werewolf. Uh, from the, in the early fifties, the guy in the hills and stuff I like think that, right? Fifty-three. I don't yeah. remember. Yeah, I, it, it, it's it's available on. I want to say with the with the giant claw from Umbrella on a, on a two disc right. um, yep. from Australia, but you can get it through Amazon cheap. Great movies. I mean, you might not love the giant claw, but the giant claw is much more ambitious than a movie that it should be, and it looks better than it should, except for the claw and the giant. Anyway, but the math is solid. Um, so uh, the the thing is. When you look at uh, that, it would be um, in the uh, Werewolf of London, right? Henry Hull. And Henry oh, Hull man. is really different. I mean, he looks like a guy with like big sideburn. He he looks like a big sideburn kind of guy. Um, but this, remember, this is the 40s. So we haven't yeah. had those yet. You know, like, well, we've had, we've had a Werewolf of London, but we didn't have the werewolf. No, we certainly were... didn't have, I was a teenage werewolf, right. which looks very different. Yeah. Um, you know, those things came later. So there was not a lot of werewolves to compare it to or wolf men to compare it to. Um, and you'd have to have remembered or had your issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland, right. right? Which would have a Henry Hull yeah. picture in it. But how many pictures of Henry Hull did it have? It's always the same one. It's the one where he's got his teeth with the with the, 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 the big teeth. underbite, the two coming up, the side view, which is awesome. But it's very clearly Henry Hull right. with some makeup on. And you know, we always remember that those... Uh, uh, Portraits, yeah, or the ones that Basil Gogans did, and you know. Oh, no, I'm talking. Okay, so I'm yeah. talking about the actual port. That, yeah. So the the this the the stock image stock that he image. based the portrait. No, Basil Gogans covers uh, his his oil paintings on the covers and stuff. Right. Where he, like those things of him, some of those. I mean, you know, but even then, even one of his most famous ones with with the Wolfman with his hand up is from this movie, movie. and that's what people remember. And again. If you think about that, again, if you're a monster kid and you or you were a kid who kind of like were big into like, you know, going back to those famous monster film and like Luke and I read them when we were younger, you saw, again, depending on how old the issue was, right? Because famous monsters wasn't around in the 40s. It wasn't no. until later, but it was paying, depending what the issue was paying homage to. And then when they, when, when, when Forrest J. Ackerman and his crew would run a werewolf thing, they were throwing a lot of werewolves right. in there. Uh, I, I say a lot. But there really weren't a lot of werewolves. And we talked about that when we talked about like werewolf movies in general. Werewolf movies, you know, they come every once in a while. Um, I mean, and, and there are some poor ones. But like the ones that are good, it took time. That we got two in one year in the early 80s was only because uh, Rick Baker had said, yes, I need to work with John Landis on this thing. And then, oh, so Rob Bottin, you need to go work on this other movie. Um, and that's why we got two. Yeah. And that was because they were trying to outdo each other. But think about how many wolf werewolf movies 
I'm trying to think, where is there other no, werewolf? There isn't one. Well, again. There was, there's a she-wolf of London, yeah, but she turns into a wolf. Yes. I'm, and then there's, okay. So there's the cat people and Curse of the Cat people, which are kind of in the idea of yeah, lycanthropy, but, but they're not lycanthropes, right, they're those, cats. Those, those are the Luton movies that were done in the 40s. Again, we're, we're, if you're talking, this is, I'm saying, 48 now. Yeah, but I'm saying, from, but, but by the time when this movie came out, they're forgetting about House of Dracula, House of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, Frankenstein, Frank yeah. And, and, and the Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. Those movies were uh, follow-ons to the original, right, to right. The original Dracula and, and Frankenstein. But the werewolf <clears throat> was, was for, there was no werewolf before the... No. Before no. the, the the movie, well, no, except for Werewolf of London, yeah, and again, that was more. I mean, so it, that's that's much more a Doc Jekyll Mister Hyde I, movie, yes, you know, and that's the other thing too. So sometimes people think, well, I'm like, there were there were what? So there's the silent, there's the John Barrymore uh, uh, Jekyll and Hyde, which was right. very famous, right? But that was much more him looking, elongating the fingers and looking decrepit and stuff like that. Frederick Marx, of course, won the Academy Award. For being, uh, you know, for his Doctor Mister Hyde, and that's probably the closest werewolf, quote unquote, we get. And he's not a werewolf. No, and again, it's just, it's just the makeup. It, it's that he turns into this this horrible looking ogre. Yeah, but, but, but he but he but he kills people and yes. he's he's aggressive, which is some well, of those things. He's not. I mean, he beats he, people. He, he doesn't bite them. He, he beats them to death. Right. No, I know I get that, but I'm saying I'm trying to think of where it is because until we get to like that. I mean, once and again, once the Wolfman happens, right, and then you get, you know, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Dracula, okay. House of Frankenstein, Abigail Tell Me Frankenstein, then the werewolf thing opens up, and there's more. Right. I mean, Curse of the Werewolf, very, very different yeah. movie. But Hammer said, "Hey, we got we." That's that's a decade later. Yeah. Oh, it's what? Because remember, Dra uh, when is it? Fifty-eight. Horror Dracula's fifty-eight, I think, right? Yeah. And then Curse of Frankenstein, fifty-seven. And let's be honest, the Hammer stuff turns stuff on their ear. It yeah. turned like the universals and hey, we, we can do this at this nth level with blood. Right. And so. the thing with with Hammer is that at that point you had this this uh, pantheon of 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 creatures yep. that well, we're going to make our own, and so that's how you have one. But even then, the other. they only made one werewolf movie. Yeah, they only made one because when you after Curse of the Werewolf, where else are you going to go? Well, think about that. Uh, <clears throat> no, but but the, but the Curse of the Werewolf, even though it's a werewolf, it is. It is a little off center from the point of view of in being an enjoyable movie. Being, what's his name? The uh, the there's a how would you there's it's almost like a Marlon Brando acting style in that movie with uh, Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed, and so if you know if if when you watch it, oh well, it's it's it, this is not this is not a uh, no. Here, you know, here okay. we go. It's it's certainly not horror Dracula. It's certainly no. not Curse of Frankenstein. No. Curse of Frankenstein is a little talky at times, but it's actually, you know, it, but again, the science in it kind of makes sense. And then the other Frankensteins kind of go sometimes a little no. off the rail, right. but let's be honest, they're never boring. No. He literally is like walking around brains and hearts and body parts and whatever, because let's be, you know, I, this is this is something that I think Luke espouses to all the time. Frankenstein, quote unquote, the universal Frankenstein is not about, uh, uh, you know, um, Colin Clive as, mm. as Dr. Frankenstein or about, you know, whatever, or Dr. Pretorius or any of those other people. It's about Boris Karloff at the time. And then eventually Glenn Strange and whatever. Right. And then Lon Chaney played him in and whatever. Right. It's about the creature. It's about Frankenstein's monster. Hammer's Frankensteins 
are not about the monster. It's not Christopher Lee. It's not um, the guy who was under, who played Darth Vader, David. I can't think of his name Ooh. right now. And all you you two true freaks people are like, oh, how do you not know this? Because it does that doesn't matter. The the whole thing is um, the, uh, the when you look at what David Prose. David Prose, that's it. I couldn't think of it. Um, so whether it's him playing Frankenstein or Frankenstein being played by whoever, that doesn't matter. What matters is that it's, it's uh, um, Peter Cushing as the doctor. And he is the guy. You know, he is the the eventually the guy who's the catalyst for all these movies. Whereas Christopher Lee is Dracula. Yeah. He, he's Dracula, right? You know, kind of thing. Like, I mean, that's what he is, you know, kind of thing. And so anyway, we're getting a little far afield. Yeah. Things, but there were not many Wolfman. And again, I'm not sure on the credit uh, for the that. I can tell you, though, that Glenn Strange is Frankenstein here. Um a lot of times the image for Glenn Strange is with this Frankenstein is used because this movie was so accessible for so long to so many people. Because this movie carries over not just um, for like being a comedy, but it, it this is one of Universal's, you know, people look at this, and this is a lot of people's introduction to the Universal Monsters yeah. who maybe had never seen it and then went back. So, um, but yeah. So, uh, original, okay, so... The film was developed and began being made actually against the wishes of both uh, Abbott and Costello, um, with Costello specifically not liking the script at all, the original script. Um, the film was made under, um, uh, they said, according, Barton found it hard to work sometimes with both Abbott and Costello because they were often not on set, right? So they, they so when they weren't, obviously, whatever. So if they didn't show up, they had to film other stuff. Um so, and then, uh, obviously, it led to several, um, I mean, you see, the movie was insanely successful. I mean, insanely successful. And it led to Adam Costello meet uh, the mummy, mummy, and then they meet the, the killer, killer, Boris Koloff. And then the one that's actually, uh, is not part of all this, which is funny, because it's Adam Costello meet um, um, Dr. Mr. Hyde, which is not part of Universal, which is crazy. Mm. That's the only one that's not part of this. Well, there, there's also the Invisible Man and stuff like that, right? Um, but they... How is that not part of it? But Dr. Mr. Hyde is not a universal monster. Often, Frederick Marx is Mr. Hyde is lumped in with them because it's right at the right time. He's contemporary and stuff. But that's MGM. Yeah, that's they, not here. They might not have had the rights to... Uh, Which is true. Right, right, but I'm saying, but how, but how often when you see, oh, the universal monsters, do they lump in? Like, it's often like if, if people who yeah. don't know, not people who know, but people who don't know, lump them in there. Because it's the right time. It's it was, it was very famous. I mean, uh, Mr. Hyde, the, the Frederick Marx's version of Mr. Hyde, often is what's aped when the, when someone wants to like describe Mr. Hyde. That's what they do. So, um, and of course, this movie is on the National Film Registry. Of course, um, it, it is both in two thousand one. It was the Library of Congress deemed the movie culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant and preserved it in the National Film Registry. And then it's number fifty six on the all time one hundred funniest movies. Um, right. From the AFI's right. list. Um, to say this movie, uh, this movie, it's weird. This movie at times is so dated, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And at other times is timeless. It's evergreen, right? right? <laughs> Just the way the bags come into the station <laughs> is completely dated. <laughs> but at the same token, you can understand, like, oh, okay, it's an old movie. That's how bags you... Like, you know, to think... First of all, here's your grip. 
Right. That's a grip. A grip. Kelly, so Kelly knew what it was. Haley goes, what's a grip? I bag. said a grip. I said your bag. She goes, why did they say bag? I go, because bag meant something else. She goes, but why did they call it a grip? I said, because you gripped it. She goes, you mean a handbag? And I go, no. look. I was like, why don't you slow down and just listen? Because there gets a lot of jokes come very fast and you have to listen very intently. I, I tell you, that's my take of this movie is that there are so many great one-liners throughout the film yep. that yep. even if you don't care about the monsters, you're going to laugh. Oh, yeah. And I don't care how many times we've seen it. It's that, man, I had, I had your mother watch it with me the other night. I said, because we, we were going to do the uh, the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he says, oh, because we, she says, oh, I think I've seen this. I said, yes, you've you seen it. think you've seen this. I said, but if you sit there and don't laugh at any of the jokes that come or the, or the, the visual scenes, I said, I'll be surprised. And who was giggling more than me? Your mother. All right. So our cast here, um, of course... Bud Abbott and Lou Costello uh, are Chick Gray and Will, uh, sorry, Chick Young and Wilbur Gray, respectively. Um, as the uh, aforementioned Lon Chaney Jr. is playing, uh, replacing his role as Lawrence Talbot and the Wolfman. Here, Bella Lugosi is playing Dracula, aka Doctor Laos, Laos, right? Um, Glenn Strange is playing the monster, and of course, um, you know most people. Uh, well, well, I shouldn't say that. People may not even realize it's Glenn Strange. I mean. It clearly is not Boris Karloff, right. but most people don't think about the fact that anyone but Boris Karloff was the monster because he was the monster in the first batch of them. And he, he's very famous for being Frankenstein's monster and stuff like that, and I get it. Um, but to, to for those who don't know, Glenn Strange probably is what you think of. That's the Don Post mask. And most people think of the Don right. Post mask when they think about Frankenstein. It's Glenn Strange. Okay. You have to remember also that... Uh... <clears throat> After the uh, the Wolfman, the next time Frankenstein is played is done in is is it the the, the Ghost of Frankenstein, and that is Bill Lugosi, who plays who dons the the Frankenstein mask, and then uh, no 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 that's Lon Chaney that's Lon Chaney because that's with Bill Lugosi right. as as Igor or Igor Igor Igor, yeah, Igor right. That's right. And then the next, in one of the... In and the, then, well, then what happens is when that happens, so the end of that movie leads into Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, right. where they wanted Lon Chaney to play both roles. Well, and he said, I can't. And they said, why not? He goes, I have to fight myself. That's impossible. And they were like, huh. And they didn't think about that. That they make Bela Lugosi, okay. which is funny. Okay, so let's... Because okay. yeah, you can see it. <laughs> well, Amazing. not just that. Not just that. I mean, he's he, this, the, 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 when Bela Lugosi squints his eyes, his face gets really, <laughs> like his cheeks get really wide, which is completely opposite of uh i mean okay so maybe people don't know this i'm assuming people should um uh, um boris karloff had a, a dental plate or bridge work in his mouth he took it out to play the frankenstein's monster to make his face more emaciated and stuff um when it's lon cheney and or bella lugosi and or glenn strange um frankenstein's face is much fuller it's like it's like when we have son of dracula the most robust Dracula of all time is Lon Chaney as Dracula, Lon Chaney Jr.'s Dracula, whereas Bela Lugosi was very small. Um, but they had actually wanted him to do that, and that's why you have the scene where, um, um, what can I think? The scene where, um, um, when they're fighting, when the Wolfman's up on, and, the, and the, uh, Frank meets the Wolfman, where he's up on top there, uh, he's Frank Frank is supposed to walk towards him, but Bella Lugosi's got his arms out and then actually puts his arms to the side as if he's Dracula. And you're like, Oh my God, I can never unsee this. The irony is 
at the end of what is that ghost of Frankenstein, right? Yeah. Um, they're supposed to take, uh, Igor's brain and put it in Frankenstein's mm-hmm. body, which of course causes Frankenstein to go blind when they do it, which is what, because it's not compatible, which is why Frankenstein is blind in, uh, in, uh, Frankenstein is the Wolfman and is being played by, uh, Bella Lugosi. Because then they said, well, we should have him talk because he should he should be talking in Igor's voice, and that's Igor. And they cut that because they it sounded horrible mm-hmm. when they did it. So I, I know you're saying, Jay, but this is not the we're not you guys aren't talking about Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. We are later this year, but not today. Mm-hmm. But that's the stuff that's there. So there's all that connective tissue. Now, in this movie, Glenn Strange does play Frankenstein, except guess what Glenn Strange did eventually? He broke his ankle. Um, and so he broke his ankle. So there's a scene where uh, later in the movie, somebody gets to thrown through a window. Well, originally they had said, who could do this? Well, let's get Bella dressed up. But Bella was like too old to be doing it. So it's Lon Chaney who is, so Lon Chaney's as the Wolfman on the table. He breaks out of the table. Then, and then they cut to the other scene and Frankenstein breaks out of the table. And that's Lon Chaney. You can tell if you look close enough at his face, you can see. Right. Now it's pretty well hidden. Lon Chaney as Frankenstein as the monster and Glenn Strange, the makeups were very close. Um, Lugosi looks so different because of his size. He just physically wasn't as big a guy as them. And the way his cheeks were, he had a much more rounded face, which yeah. was very hard to hide. Even with the squared off head, it was kind of hard to hide the rounded face. Um, but that's there too. But those are little insider things. Um, that's that's how many times I've seen this movie. I literally yeah. am watching this. And I said, I said, watch, that's, that's Lon Chaney. And Haley goes, who? I go, that's the Wolfman. She goes, that's the Frankenstein's monster, Dad. Yeah. I go, I know, but it's the same guy. So, anyway. Um, what? So, where are we? Um, what was left? Oh, uh, uh, Lenore uh, uh, Aubert plays uh, Sandra. Uh, Jane Randolph plays Joan Raymond. Um, and then Frank Ferguson uh, plays Mr. McDougal. Now, um, then there's also the only other person credited in the entire... Everyone else is uncredited. Charles uh, Bradstreet as Dr. Stevens. And then there's one uncredited person who we know. It's Vincent Price at the very end, but that's the very end. But he's uncredited everywhere. So Frank Ferguson is a character actor, right? And he pops Mm -hmm. up in other things. Now, he's been in other Universal movies. um, And here he's playing McDougal, you know, kind of thing, right? Um, In his House of Horrors. Uh, It's just so funny, though, when he pops up other places and he's not McDougal. And I'm like, oh, it's McDougal. And he's like, like, that's not his name here. I go, I know, but that's who he is. So um, because you kind of get stuck in who you are. Uh, Where are we? So let's get to the plot here. All right. So, all right, before we even get to the plot, the opening animation to this movie is probably just as famous as any scene in the movie. Um, Haley goes, I've seen this. And I said, yes, you have when you were a little kid. Because she, not not the movie. Once the movie starts, she doesn't remember any of the movie. She remembered Frankenstein's monster knocking on the coffins and then Abbott and Costello coming out of skeletons. That is so great. It yep. is, and then they break their bones, break apart into whatever, and then just the animation of the monsters walking, of the werewolf, Ooh, the whatever, the, it, or the Frankenstein, mm-hmm. and it says their names right, and it has like the the um, the the mad scientist, which is uh, doc, you know, she's like all curvy and stuff. The animation being in this movie, more people have probably seen that and had no idea what it's from, because it's everywhere. Universal used to put that out everywhere. Yeah, at Universal wow. Studios. That would be part of the clips that would play outside. It wasn't called the Sci-Fi Cafe. It was called the Universal yeah. Mont. No, the Sci-Fi Cafe okay. is at M- MGM. 
that this is this was the Universal Monsters Cafe. It had a different name later. They eventually called it the Universal yeah. Monsters Cafe, but it wasn't as cool as a sci-fi. Ca- I'm sorry, it wasn't as cool as a sci-fi cafe because you didn't show trailers all the time. Outside, oh. they had the electric chair you sat in and you took the fake pictures yeah. of getting executed. But they had they would show. It was not called the Universal. It was called something else. Luke probably remembers. I just can't remember because they used to show the trailer for Psycho. They showed the trailer for King Kong. They showed they would show those trailers on the TV outside. And one of the bumpers they always used was like the stuff from Abacus Help Me Frankenstein. Yeah, I'm trying to think of which, what was the, what was the what was it, it used it, it was called the but it was it was eventually called the Universal Monsters Horror Cafe. Heart, yeah. Right? But it had That's another right. name before. Yes, but it was Yeah, and then it got changed uh after later. We, yeah, later. Later. Uh, yeah, I know. But there was I, a name before it yeah. where because it was it wasn't like it would be easy. It was called like the Monsters of the Movies, but it wasn't called that. It was no. called something else. But then they eventually changed it to the, the okay. So the the signage out front, I can picture the signage. I can't remember yeah. what it says, but the signage I remember being a little old when it first opened. I don't think it was called that. Again, I could be wrong, and maybe I have the order wrong. But I know, I know, at some point they had the Universal Monsters in it, like an arch logo. Yes. I want to say it was. Uh, there was orange and stuff like that underneath. And it said like universal monsters. And it said like horror cafe. And it just was like, a, just like a cat. It was just like a right. restaurant. Yeah. Cool. But, okay, but, it, but it wasn't like horror themed. Cause no. if it was, we would have eaten there. Cause it'd been really cool. Now they had memorabilia and stuff, but they didn't have like, it was nothing like once you saw it once, you're like, all right. And the sci-fi cafe was at universal. Right. You ate in the well, sci-fi cafe was in, was in, uh, at Univ- at, MGM. In MGM. MGM. And then you sat in a, in a, in a, a fake convertible car. car and, and the big screen had the trailers. The trailers yeah. Right. Yeah. And it had the trailers and like, the, let's go to the you know concession and things like that. Um, which made that so much cooler because you're eating literally just, you know, stock standard, you know, chicken fingers and hot dogs and hamburgers. It's not like it was a gourmet meal, but everything at MGM, all of their restaurants, and I, that's the one thing I can say is this. And again, I know it's not the MGM podcast, but the every one of their restaurants there was themed. Like, so we would go eat there. But I know people who would love who love going to the Brown Derby. Why? Because it was the Brown Derby, mm-hmm. and it's all about it. And then there were some people who swore by going to. Yeah, I oh, love Lucy. Yeah, I love Lucy. it's not. I love Lucy. It was the fifties something. Yeah, the fifties, but it was I one of them. Yeah. No, it wasn't. I love that. There was one of them was Leave It to Beaver. One of it was whatever. It was different themed. Yeah. Each each thing you went to was different. It looked yeah. like, but it, one of them was, it wasn't I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy's not MGM. That Oh, no, 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 no it was. No, what? The, the I Love Lucy thing also was part of the um, thing with Gilligan's Island and right. whatever. Yep. That was the other. But it was, it, all of it looked kind of like uh, the Brady Bunch or Leave it to Beaver or whatever. And the waitresses, depending on which one you're in, were dressed like waitresses from that time, the 50s, 60s. And it was... They were known for serving. Um, you you ate on like the Famica tables, and you had the plastic, and it was like it was what it was in the time. But it was like you would go there, and your people were like, "Well, you don't order hot dogs and hamburgers there." And they're like, "Why?" They go, no, you order meatloaf and turkey dinner, and it was the and idea that cheese. yeah, it was all homemade stuff yep. because you were supposed to be like you were home in a fifties or sixties sitcom, and then you would go to whatever else. And it was the theme that way. I, I, as much as people might knock Disney for different things the when MGM was like that, man, it was so cool because it was like, it, it showed detail, attention to details that some people might overlook and not care about. And maybe you never ate at those restaurants. You didn't care, but it's like, it's like, why is, 
um, you know, so many steps away from every place that sells food. Why is there a garbage can? Because that's how long it, the average it takes you to eat whatever, right? They think these things out. The Universal Cafe, which looked kind of like a 50s cafe, right? And it kind of had the neon and whatever. And it showed that outside. I'm like, why is that not showing inside? Why is it not happening? Because to me, that would be the cool thing. Now, I'm sure to most people, that might get really annoying really quickly. Like, I don't want to sit here and watch Universal Horror Movies. But there's nothing cooler than watching Universal Horror Movies um, you know, to me, at least we're going to sit and have anyway. So the whole point is the animation beginning of this thing. Very, very famous. Frankenstein knocking on the coffins still is funny The that they literally, the bones jump out of there. Um, yeah, and, then, and I have that, uh, that, that model that it's built on the shelf. Yeah, right. It's just the coolest thing. Yeah. And, and again, it, it's one of those things though, too, that the, the, the idea there, like, Okay, they, this could have been this, an innocuous, regular opening. It didn't have to be that. But that little bit of animation sets this movie, again, being apart is being different. I mean, I can't imagine. I'm trying to remember any other Universal movie that has anything like this. In no. It. Usually the, the, the music comes up and, yeah. and then you get the fog or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. And then one thing you had to remember, you had mentioned that it was only $750,000 to make. Yeah. This movie is not in color. And... Color in the, by 1949 uh, was all over the place. Every uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, color was, but color was expensive. Yeah, and so that was one of the things. And again, it does not. As a matter of fact, as you go through the movie, there are a few scenes which we'll talk about that actually, I I, I believe they're in color, but they're probably shades of black and white. And I'll, I'll get to well. That when we get so the other thing too is. All the other Universal horror movies, all the other Universal monsters had been black and white. Yep. There was no reason to make this in color because this movie, the color in this movie, and again, I'm not saying that like the outfits they're wearing or whatever no. kind of thing. Because I'm able, Kelly and I were talking about this during it. They go, well, that's gray. And she goes, how do you know? I go, because that's gray and that's actually charcoal and that's actually black. And she goes, how can you tell? I go, because I can tell the gradation right. in my eye knowing as a modeler looking at gradation of gray um, and to black. But the whole point is every other Universal Monster movie up to this point was made in black and white. And the ones, the, the, the sequels, well, not sequels, but the Meet the Mummy, whatever, were made in black and white. Why? Because it fits perfectly. Yeah. There's no need for color here. We aren't, this isn't, this isn't like Gone with the Wind where we need to see, you know, all like we need to see Atlanta burning, right? Kind of thing. It, does the movie, does it, does it, is it hindered by the black and white? No. no. Does it actually make it better? Yes. It makes it feel. Like it's a, if yeah. it was in color, you would feel it wasn't part of the original universals. It would feel different. All right, here we go. So Lawrence Talbot uh, makes an urgent phone call to a railroad station in Florida where Chick Young and Wilbur Gray uh, work as baggage clerks. Uh, Talbot tries to warn Wilbur of a shipment due to arrive to McDougal's House of Horrors. Uh, however, before he finishes, the moon rises and Talbot transforms into a werewolf, causing Wilbur to think the call is a prank. So let's stop there. Guy called a long way of a dog talk to me, right? Uh, the entire movie is one-liners. Exactly. And that's why I think this movie works so much better. And don't get me wrong. Are there other Adam Costello movies that are funny? Yes. Are any of them as funny as this? I don't think so. Like, and again, that might just be me. And you're saying, but Jay, you're more of a Marx Brothers guy. That is true. I am. Tr I, if I have to pick Marx Brothers, Adam Costello, I pick Marx Brothers movies over Adam Costello movies. But, Adam tell me Frankenstein, I think, is probably better than any Marx Brothers movie. That's, isn't that weird to think that? Like, yeah. I mean, because this movie's so well made, I yeah. think that's why. And, and the, the one-liners start 
God. Right in the very it's, beginning. And it's... I don't think they go more than two or three minutes no. before there's another one. But, and everyone hits. It's not like there's there's a, a dud here and there. Yeah. Everyone hits. Well, that's the thing, though, too. Um, and, and, and that's the whole point in the movie, is that when you look at um, who's saying them, right? It's not... It's, it's, it's Obviously, it's Costello saying them, right? Yeah. Because... As much as Abbott is the comedian, he's a comedian, well, he's right? A, he's a straight. He's but 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 he does comedy and yeah. stuff. And when you watch their like, we used to watch the TV shows. Oh, yeah. He would do some of the comedy too. But him as the straight man has to set up each of these lines. And the thing is, he sets them up. But then they also use. And I think this is what makes it so good. They use Lon Chaney to set them up, right? Because that's. He, and then they use everyone, but everyone is there just for Costello to hit him with the one-liners, and the one-liners are so quick. Not to say you're missing them, but you have to listen, and they're so good. Each one of them, like, is their own little thing. Now, are some better than others? Yes. The same way that, like, you know, yours had teeth, yours had teeth too. Actually, you see that tooth? I saw it, you know, mm. kind of thing. The, the back and forth sometimes between Abbott and Costello is what made them such a famous comedy duo, Right. And we get glimpses of that throughout the movie. Yep. There is no, there, we, they do not do who's on first. Nope. You know, there's no, there's no five minute little thing. But even that little piece I just was saying there about like, you know, here's that teeth. <laughs> I saw that tooth, you know, mm-hmm. like that little back and forth is exactly what made them so good and why people forever love Adam Costello as uh, a comedy act, right? But when you look at like, uh, like to me, uh, like, like hold that ghost is a, is a great, yeah, Adam Costello comedy. And it's funny and whatever. But his one-liners in there are really good. But then some of the stuff that happens, you're like, okay, like nothing happens for a little bit. Same thing with Meets Dr. Mr. Hyde and whatever. But you remember the one-liners. Here, the one-liners are 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 coming much quicker. They literally basically were like, it's almost like, look, you didn't like the script, so ad-lib it. And I'm not saying he ad-libbed them all, yeah. but some of them had to be. Because some of them are so like zinger they, you, you can't write that or he says it and then looks at the camera like gotcha like and, and to break that wall even for a second like when, when he snaps the say in the movie he snaps the tablecloth and he goes Ha-ha! like the look at the camera and do that that didn't happen in 1948 like this isn't this isn't deadpool where right. you know he's acting to you like you just at the audience like wait he's looking at me like you felt like you know kind of thing um but yeah, th- so the stuff in there, that's, and then McDougal shows up and they set him, oh my God, everyone is there to set up Costello for his one-liners. And he's like, all right, your packages are here, whatever, like the kind of thing. And it's just so funny because we meet Sandra at this point, right, too. And um, McDougal thinks he's going to impress her with, do you know what I have in there? I have the reins of Frankenstein's monster. Good for you. Like the, the women in this, F's given zero. Like they just they just shoot everyone down. Now I understand Sandra is after uh um you know uh, Costello's brain, brain and Joan is after trying to figure out how they're trying to scam, you know, the insurance mm-hmm. scam. But the women in this are stone cold, like they have no they hate they like it's just like wow, they are playing this completely straight, straight and they are harsh and they have some of the harshest lines in the movie. Not to mean like they're not swearing or anything, but they are cut you down lines. They cut Abbott down. They cut uh, McDougal down. They cut everybody gets cut down by them because they play it completely straight and cool, which is awesome. I think that's such a good thing because uh, 
if you look at like again, there are there are movies you go through and the women are kind of played as brainless and whatever. Here, both women are smart, both women are focused on what they're doing, and they are they are serious act. They are some of the serious people in this. Whereas McDougal wants his 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 uh, his either his money or he actually wants his two he wants his two exhibits. That's what he wants. He wants to you want your exhibit. Here comes one now, right? Um, the whole point is, and Evan Costello play it their way, and then of course like Lon Chaney has to play his role straight because he's you know a werewolf, you know kind of thing, and Lugosi plays his role straight. But it's just so funny when you see how they interact with each other, and that the women when they have because because they're fawning over you know it's it's. Costello, like it's the little round guy. He's the guy who's kind of like not smart. Like you're fawning over him, and no one understands why. And then they cut down the other people, which I always find really funny. But maybe that's me. Anyway, where are we? Uh, so McDougal shows up and demands a crate be personally delivered to his wax museum. Now, I've been to Madame Tussauds in the city. Um, it's nothing like this place. This is this is like so. Do you remember mm, House of Wax? No, no, it's not House of Wax. I'm thinking of. House of Wax of Vincent Price is got that's Marine Twin, but that's on color. Um, Horrors of the Black Museum. Oh, Horrors of the Black. That's Michael Goff and right. Is it Michael Goff? Yeah, yeah. Where he has a black museum. It looks a lot like this place, right? Yeah. It's so. The thing with House of Wax, right, and which we, Luke and I, you hear Luke and I speak about House of Wax this year uh, on Boss Bugs and Babes. Um, not only is it in color, um, but there's Marie Antoinette and there's whatever. I mean, yeah. there's very famous things. This. House, this house of wax is just torture stuff and murder stuff. It's like, it's like the, it's like the murder museum in uh house thousand corpses, right? Kind of thing. But, but not because there's no chicken. Um, but the thing is like, it that reminds me of that. Like, cause remember that's Michael Goth is killing people and then putting them there. So, oh, sorry. It's a fifth. It's a 70 year old movie. If you haven't seen it, gotta see it. Okay. So are we here? So Wilbur and Chick deliver the crates after hours. They uh, first open up the Dracula crate. Um, and of course, when Chick leaves the room to retrieve the second crate, Wilbur reads the Dracula legend. The coffin suddenly opens and Dracula sneaks out. Okay. So that's kind of the basic what happened. The lines here, I hear you pulling the nails, like things like that. Those little throwaway lines that, that he's, he's going to put the, um, crowbar, the crowbar in. And, it's, and, and, but that's when Dracula's opening thing. He's like, look, he, but he looks at the crowbar. He looks at the crowbar. As if the crowbar somehow has a sound effect. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. So they deliver it all. And, of course, um, as a kid, I would whenever the power goes, oh, someone blew a fuse. And that's from this line from this movie. They come in, and there's there's there, there's the coffin, of course. And he says, let's look at that. Dracula's crest. Dracula's crest. And he starts reading the legend of Dracula. He goes, this is bunk. He goes, I know. That's his bunk. bunk. Right, it's so. I mean, that, good. We we can't. I I don't think we can. We can just by saying the line puts a smile yeah. on your face. But I mean, the thing is, not the, it, the thing about uh, these scenes is that <clears throat> when Costello is reading the uh, uh, the, 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 the Dracula, Legend of Dracula, Legend of Dracula yeah. he puts a candle on the coffin, and the candle as Dracula starts to open the, the coffin lid, the candle starts to move. Now, if you go back to Hold That Ghost, it's basically the same yeah. setup. But even here, it's not dated. I mean, he, he's starting to read and the candle's starting to move. And then his, he stops reading and he looks at the candle. And he goes, oh, 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 check, check. And then obviously the, the, the lid goes down. Yeah. And 
You saying this candle move? move. Oh, no, 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 no. Did that candle move? No. It's just one after the other after the other. What I found, what I find sometimes watching this, and especially since I've seen it a, a million times, is that the one-liner stops the movie for me, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm reminiscing about that line, and the movie is still going on, yeah. and so you got you got to catch up to the next line. So the problem is, um, <clears throat> I say this all the time: if I can get Kelly to look up from her phone, it's usually it's a rare thing, right? I put this on, she put her phone down and watched the whole movie. She loves this movie, right? And she loves this movie, and she's only seen it probably twice, maybe three times. We saw it on Svengoolie one night when we, like, when I was during chemo and stuff, and I was kind of just laying around, and it's on Svengoolie. It's on Svengoolie all the time. Um, Kelly knows dozens of lines from this movie. She can't tell you dozens of lines from her favorite movies, movie. right? Her favorite movies, Gone with the Wind. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. A League of a, a League of Their Own, she probably can do the entire movie. But I can do most of all of that, too. And I don't even like A League of Their Own, but it's really funny. You've got some really funny lines in it. See, the train moves, not the station. Um, that's gentlemen. Anyway, so the whole um, the thing is, she knows lines in this, and I can pretty much do almost this whole movie. Like, there's, yeah. there's, there's, I can do all the, all the major parts. Of, I can do the whole thing. This is almost like getting to the point where, like I say to everybody, I'm like, well, like I can pretty much do Monster Squad. I can, and you can do Frankenstein. Like, I'm not Frankenstein, uh, King Kong. Mm -hmm. Like line for line, I can do the entire movie. To the point where, I mean, it's a lot easier, obviously, when Luke's here to do the Odd Couple because I need someone to bounce lines with, right. right? But like, I can do this whole movie like line for line, and I know all the things that are coming, and they're still funny, which is a sign of a great comedy. So I look at it. Um, if for those of you way, way years ago, when Paul and I covered on, is it Jaws? We talked about, uh, the greatest Thanksgiving movie of all times, plane trains and automobiles. And I said, well, this is the best Thanksgiving movie of all time. And he's like, really? And I was like, well, it's one of the best John Hughes comedies of all time. He goes, really? I go, think about the first time you saw plane trains and automobiles. Think about how close you came to peeing yourself. Right. And he's like, oh yeah. And I'm like, now you don't watch plane trains and automobiles because you're going to like fall on the floor laughing. But the entire time you're smiling, you laugh at some of the point, the stuff in the airport where the F word is dropped with, with 46. Oh, oh my God. I love that scene so much. Cause that is my life. Um, but like, there are so many funny parts in that movie, but it's a John Hughes comedy, right? Which is like breakfast club. And like, uh, she's having a baby and like, alone, right? uh, e eventually, oh, yes. Yeah. Well, this is pre home alone. Dad, yeah. like, home alone became the physical comedy. This was all like about the talking, right? So when you watch that, you watch Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, you're like, well, this movie's really funny. And you, you, you oh. said, Plane, Trains, and Automobiles, the first time you watch it, you miss half the jokes because you're laughing through them, right? But to me, that's just, that's such a well-made movie that is really funny and at the same time, absolutely heartbreaking at the end. And you, I mean, you know, that his wife is, well... If you haven't ever seen it, I mean, that movie's only 40 years old because God forbid I, you know, talk about a 50, 70, 80 year old movie. Um, but to watch that as a comedy. So when I look at comedies, I need a comedy, like, like most people like, oh, I love comedies. I love them. And they love comedies the first time they watch them and they don't remember them, right? Like I, I think of a movie like, um, something that was really funny probably the first time through. Like The Hangover was really funny the first time through. It gets less funny as you go because you know the joke. Right. And then the sequels, they have to like, I mean, really amp it up and have like transvestites and crazy stuff happen. Oh, sorry. If you've never seen them, there's that happens. Um, that has to be there. Right. When you watch like that, you watch like plane trains and automobiles, or I mean, mm, 
the, the odd couple. When again, if you want to hear Luke, uh, Paul and I talk about the three New Yorkers talking about the odd couple, one of my favorite movies of all time. Great play too. That movie's still funny. A movie. It, and again, there's, there's parts in it that you just like, and I know every line. I'm not falling out of my seat laughing hysterically because I know what's happening. It's, it's funny. Mm-hmm. It has those things. There are parts of, and I'm trying to think, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think another major league might probably fall in that. Like the original major league is mm-hmm. really funny. And it was, but, it, but again, it's, as you watch Adam Costello and me, Frankenstein, I'm not falling out of my seat laughing constantly, but there are things that actually still make me laugh right. physically. I know it's coming and I still laugh. Well, you know what? You know what Which movies, is a sign of not only a great movie, but right. a great comedy. Right. But you know what these movies do? I mean, when, when, let's say we have a brand new movie we haven't seen yet. Right. Yeah. And you put it on your, your attention is to watch the movie. Right. If the movie hooks you right away, you're really enthused. What these movies do in the 15th, 20th, 30th time is they they take they give you an hour and a half to two hours of enjoyment. Yeah. And and at that point you're not thinking about I got a bill to pay, I've got a doctor visit to go to or whatever. Right. You're just sitting there and enjoying it. Right. This movie will it'll uh, when it's a little over an hour and a half long. Yeah. It It'll just take you away. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying, though, because some comedies, you watch them and they're funny the first time, maybe they're funny the second time, but they're not funny over and over again, right? right? And, and I don't mean this to be negative, um, but like, um, I would say Chris, I would say The Rock and Kevin Hart, but that's a thousand movies. Oh, Central Intelligence. Central Intelligence was on the other day. Central Intelligence has some really funny stuff. Kevin Hart is really good with The Rock. The Rock as yeah. The Rock's good as good comedy, but Kevin Hart is his comedy. And he's fast with his stuff. The first time we saw Central Intelligence, I was like, "This is a pretty damn funny movie, right?" It's less funny the second, and not that say it's not funny anymore, but I now I know the gay, the joke, right. right? And I can watch that movie and enjoy it because of what's happening in it, and I enjoy Kevin Hart and I enjoy The Rock. Whereas, but it's not nearly as funny the the second third time. It's like any any Will Ferrell movie is funny the first time. The the the, the, the um. Oh, the Ballad of Ricky Bobby, where he's the race car driver. Help me, Jesus. Help me, Oprah Winfrey. Like, I know that line's coming. But the first time he thinks, you're not on fire, and he thinks he's on fire, and he's stripping naked, you just start laughing because the absurdity of the situation. Now you're like, okay, it's coming. And you anticipate it coming. Here, even though I know the lines are coming, even though I know what's happening, I know Dracula's going to get out of the coffin, whatever. Because the monster scenes are played straight monster, and the comedy's played it's hard to say straight comedy they marry well that's not always the case um and it's hard because a lot of horror comedies are either comedies that have a little horror in them or they're horror movies that have a little bit of comedy you know, and it's not done well you know you can do think about the um so i'm trying to think of another horror comedy young frankenstein well okay mm-hmm. young no, mm, young frankenstein is a comedy yes. young frankenstein is a straight-up comedy and it's a great movie and it's funny still to this day right. But the horror is played for laughs. For laughs, right. I mean, Here, what's played for laughs? That, that's horror. In the movie, that's horror. Is there anything played for a laugh the whole time? Do we ever laugh? Right. We never laugh at Frankenstein's monster. Right. We never laugh at the Wolfman. We never right. laugh at Dracula. Right. Now, do they do they have to run away from the Frankenstein's monster? And right. do they do silly stuff like throw the thing on him or whatever? Yes, but the end of this movie is not played for a laugh. I mean, forget the Vincent Price part. Like when they set everything on fire, it's not played for a laugh. When Dracula and Wolfman go out the window, it's not played for a laugh. It's played straight. And I think that's what horror comedies sometimes miss. The best horror comedies 
are either really good horror movies and there's really some actual decent comedy in them, but that's hard. It's mm. hard. You don't, you don't, you don't see it often. I'm trying to think of like a horror comedy. That's really a horror comedy that works well, much more work as a horror movie or work as a comedy movie. And they happen to have both like, like Mel Brooks is like Dracula, Dracula dead and loving it. <laughs> it is played for laughs the whole time. I mean, Dracula is a joke and Liam Neeson, uh, Liam Neeson, good Lord. <laughs> It'd be really funny. It was Liam Neeson, right? Uh, it's, um, what's his name? It's, um, Oh my God! Now I just forgot. Yes, it's um, Leslie uh, Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. Liam Neeson would have been a very different Dracula. I have a set of skills, and those skills involve me turning into a bat. Anyway, um, but that's played straight as a comedy. Young Frankenstein's played straight as a comedy. Mm -hmm. Even even like Blazing Sounds, they're all played straight as comedies, which is why those comedies work. And Mel Brooks is such a great comedic director and writer and stuff like that. Here, the comedy is done in a way that doesn't take you out of what the story is the entire story happening dracula coming out of there them cracking open the crate Great. to find frankenstein and what happens abbott's at the feet he's digging around he doesn't see the size 27 shoes there right but 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 uh um costello immediately sees the face whoa cover it up put it away we're not like he's he starts putting his like putting the alfalfa back on top of him right or the excelsior it's excelsior right, right. not alfalfa not hay excelsior which I don't think I've ever heard it called Excelsior. I don't know ever again. Is it? I mean, do you even, do we call it that anymore? Yeah, no, it's shredded paper. Yeah. Well, no, no. But I'm saying, but it's hay. Yeah. They call it Excelsior, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. The one thing about these the the, uh, the the horror scenes we still aren't even out of the, the, uh, the well, house the, well, the museum not, yet. Yeah, I mean, we got to get there. Here we go. Yes, yes. Keep going. Yes, say well, that. Yeah. We're not the the for me the the scenes where uh, Costello. Has he's you, Dracula is, is getting out of the coffin, yeah. and he's going over to to Frankenstein to get and puts the electrodes in his in, in the bowl yeah, the in to there. get to get him to get him to get up. The Frank Skinner music at this point is thrilling. Yeah, it's thrilling. And now Costello and 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 uh, and, and Abbott are not in the scene. It is just the two icons, Dracula and Frankenstein. That scene of them. Getting together and 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 Lugosi motioning to uh, uh, to Frankenstein, come, let's go. Yeah, is I mean, it's a great scene. And in any horror movie that was played for horror, this would have fit. Yeah, it it's not taken out of context. I mean, it's right there. Yeah, that's now, what I'm saying. Now, I mean, now, the now, straight, now there is sense. now there is a little bit of of of, of comedy here because that couple of minutes of what they're doing. As Frankenstein is is walking away, Costello is is frozen. He's he's been oh, trans. He's yeah, he's Dracula trans got him with the. And yeah. So Frankenstein looks at him. Like, ah! and well, he, yeah, because he because he's he's now just waking up. He's just so we are to assume here that Frankenstein can see again. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of thing. Um, although he's pretty blind most of the movie, uh, he can kind of see. Uh, so, like my dad said, yeah. So they, have to, they crack open the other crate. Um, so what happens is Dracula is now stuck out of his, his coffin. They look in the coffin. It's empty. See, it's nothing. He goes to the other thing. Then he gets, so then McDougal and the, uh, insurance adjuster get there. Right. And he goes and, he, and flat out Abbott says, what? There was nothing in these crates. We opened them up. They're empty. No, they were at my bay inspect them. That's what I have to, what did they inspect? <laughs> did you literally put a seven foot tall dead guy in hay and, Open up and say, yep, there's a dead guy in this guy too. Did you literally, that to me has always been the question I've had. Did they literally pack up 
all these dead bodies and ship them to Florida? From Europe. From Europe? That to me, see? See? Yeah. It's like, Jay, you have to accept. I, again, I'm willing to accept it. But he says they inspected it before they left. Like you made sure the bodies were in there? Well, no, which is not what they did. Right. They mean that the crates were all, someone stole them en route, whatever. Like that. That's the whole idea, that someone stole the right. bodies. But it makes it sound like he literally said, no, no, put that seven-foot-tall dead guy in this thing. Put hay on him. I mean, Excelsior, right? right? <laughs> well, you know, but think about this. I mean, that same, uh, you know, quirky thing happens yeah. in the original Dracula. The, the ship leaves with the full crew with Renfield and, and Dracula in his coffin, and they go from whatever yeah. across the the, 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 Atlant the Atlantic to the United States. Yeah. When the ship pulls in, the only one who's still left alive is Renfield. Right. Now, how the hell did the ship, you know, as one by one, yeah. you know, each, right. every night dinner was, was served, you know, that one by one the crew is going, who was... Running the boat. Well, that's well. Isn't that the whole point? And that's the that's it's called the last. Uh, it's 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 oh, it's not a book. What is it? It's something. It's like, um, oh, the last night of the Detmer and whatever. Because that's the name of the boat, right? Yeah. And the whole idea is that it's um, you know, Renfield gets the he lies to get the the stuff on there. What's in the coffin? Right. They don't ever check the coffin, and that every night that Dracula is basically tearing apart the crew, like not just drinking one at a time. That he's literally. Massacring, massacring the crew. Yeah, well, there's also the three women. The three there are there were four crates there. Right, but I'm saying, but like, but yeah. no, but the whole yeah. the whole theory is that they literally it's not just one at a time getting picked. Like they are literally, and it's like thirty days a night on that ship. Right, and you're like, but how? Yeah. How? Because so, because if you can't kill, I mean, if, if someone's disappeared, one person or whatever. Okay, maybe whatever in the ship you don't notice. But if you're killing three to four people a night, you might notice, right? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> That's from Diary. But again, I gotta, uh, right, right. But how did they get there? So it must have been Renfield, like, and his list of things he can do is now he can now skipper a boat by himself. It's it's not, but you have to accept it. Right. That's what I'm saying. That, that yeah. Means no, no. I understand. My whole thing is that he goes, we, those crates were inspected before they left. What? <laughs> like, like. I think they meant they inspected to make sure the crates were sealed See, properly, right. you know, and that they did contain something yeah, that he, they, I get the impression that, uh, he has paperwork yeah, that says yeah, it no, contains he, whoever he dealt with that they, they might've been, I don't want to say mummified, but they were, uh, they were, they, they look like they did, but they were put in the, the crates. What I'm saying is, okay. So what happens is he has the paperwork. So the paperwork was with the crates. Cause that's what right. McDougal comes in with his copies and they have their copies. They match them up. Right. So the whole point is it says in this, it contains one coffin with the remains of Dracula. In this, it contains the remains of the Frankenstein's monster, right? Which is what it says is in them. And they must have said, okay, the crates were nailed up and whatever, but obviously implying, not implying that this guy himself actually sat there and watched them put it in the well, crate. Well, you have to remember, in the, I believe it was the House of Dracula, the remains of Dracula, when they open it up, it's just a set of bones. Yes, and, but but they also had a stake in the middle of his heart, right? And they had to yank the stake out, and all of a sudden, and, and, and and David Carradine comes back, right? But that's or, what I mean. Uh, John Carradine, John, David Carradine. Yeah, but that's what I mean. That you know, the, the what they put in that thing could have been. They had know, to get there. the bones. The yeah, but, bones. yeah, but someone had to pull the stake out. Someone had to like put the right. blood on. There's lots of different ways. Hammer found ways to make him come back. Yeah. Anyway, so um, so yeah, so uh, needless to say, um, 
uh, McDougal's like, well, we're going to call the police. And then he goes, police, I'll do better than that. Police, right? They send him to jail. So these two go into jail. Now, I'm just going to say this. The tie he is wearing mm. in the next scene, that makes the movie look dated. Yeah. Because Kelly goes, Kelly goes, is that just tied wrong? Or is that, was that a style? I said, I no, guarantee you it's, it's a style. style. Yeah. I go, wait till he puts his coat on. She goes, what do you mean? I go, watch when he puts his coat on. And he puts the coat on, the tie looks perfectly normal, right? But it looks so silly that it's so short and fat in the front right. and that's tucked into like his socks. Like it is all the way in, right? But that is one of the things to me that makes the movie, you remember this movie, yeah. this is very old, right? Kind of thing. And they spend the night in jail. Now, this scene, when they're just talking, Look at the clothes they're wearing, right? The suits and stuff like that. Or the next morning when they get dressed, the the it's black and white. But I'm like, that is a herringbone. That is gray with a, with the black speck. Like it's so crisp watching it now on Blu-ray. Yeah. Um, that I I can pick out what they're different wearing. And Kelly goes, well, how do you tell? I'm like, I bet you that I bet you what what Talbot's wearing. I bet you those pants are like a charcoal gray, and that's a black shirt. And she goes, well, how do you know? I said, because originally, in the original Wolfman, he's wearing a brown shirt or a dark blue shirt, and he's wearing ta- uh, he's wearing dark pants, right. which are probably brown. That's why I think the shirt might be brown. Yeah, in, in all the movies that he that that uh, the, the Wolfman has portrayed, it's always a dark shirt. It's never a white shirt until we get to Curse of the Werewolf. Well, the reason why it's not a white shirt, I guarantee you, is because it was allowed them to hide right. the chest. Yeah. So you don't have to make up the chest at all. If you have a dark shirt on, there won't be any light. Because you, you're never going to get a scene where the light's going to come through. You're going to see, oh, wait, this guy's just got a regular chest. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I guarantee you. But the thing is, the the mindset has always been that Talbot is wearing either like dark green pants and a brown shirt or he's wearing brown pants and a green shirt. I've painted it several different ways. I've painted it with a a, a blue shirt. Right. Um, not denim, but like looking more that blue kind of color. Um and then gone with a more of a brown pants, which sounds weird, but it works. Um, but I've also painted it straight up brown and brown. And brown and brown is weird because yeah. he's so brown. And your eye reads that as wrong. Yeah. But on the set, it wouldn't have mattered because it's black and white. You know, your eye will read that as dark. Um, but be as it may. Um, so uh, where are we here? They're in jail. So they're in jail. So they get out of jail. And this is where they meet... So they so they get back and they get out of jail, right? And then they're um, they're going to meet. Um, they eventually they have to meet Talbot. They have to meet. That whole point is they have to lock Talbot in his room, but that's at night. They get there and he goes. He goes. I've been looking for you guys all day. It wasn't hard to find. We were in jail, right? They were in jail all day, right? They get out of jail. They're getting ready to go. So Talbot's got the room across the hall, and again, you look at the size of their room. You look what Talbot's got. They got like he's got like a suite, right? right. Kind of thing. And, uh, um, he goes, just lock me in, right, kind of thing. And and uh, it's just funny because that's the whole, you know, did he count these? You know, kind of thing like he... Well, he, exactly. Wait, he says, but, no, no, I know, but, eventually. But the whole point is he goes... Right, he, says, he says, I want you to lock me in my room and no matter what you hear, do not open it. Right. And so he goes, he locks him in his room. Then Costello comes back and says, oh, he forgot his grip. Yeah. And so he picks up the grip. He, goes, and he brings it up and he opens it up. It's a top, Mr. Talbot. Yeah. Mr. Talbot, how where did he go? Right. He said, so he puts the grip down in the bedroom. And then when he comes out, there's a bowl of apples. And this is what Jason just said. He's, so he, he takes oranges. one. Oranges. Oranges. So he takes one. He flips it up in the air and he shoves, shoves it in his, his pocket. pocket. Then as he's going out, the, 
maybe he counted them. Right. Like as if he went in and counted how many oranges were in the bowl. And then that's the scene where he locks the door and he drops the key and he cracks his head on the the doorknob, which makes him not go back in because now the Wolfman's right behind the door. And again, the Wolfman parts there are played straight. Right. Yep. Costello's being Costello. And and the music is coming up. And and, yeah. And and the thing is, but when they cut to Costello, the music goes back down and then goes back and it goes right back up again. And it's like, man, how effective is that? Because literally the door, without showing you both sides of the door at one time, you know the Wolfman is literally a door away from killing him. And that Costello, the entire movie, walks through the entire movie, literally almost getting killed constantly, right? Nothing ever kills him because he's the guy they got to keep alive. Yeah. Right? They oh, want his brain. But, yeah, but as the movie does go on, they, they're being... Now, but what I'm now, saying now, is, now their lives are in danger. Right, but I'm saying is, but here it is, he and could they, get killed, right? Yeah. And his girlfriend, Sandra, yeah. wants to cut his brain out and put it in the Frankenstein monster. Sorry, spoiler alert, it's coming. Right, kind of thing. But that's the whole point of it, right? So then the next morning they get up, and that's when I'm saying they're getting yeah. dressed. Because they're wearing, they're wearing um, robes oh, at yeah. night. And those robes, are got some colors going on. You can tell there's some colors in those robes. Um, and that's when uh, uh, Sandra shows up and he goes, she goes, oh, you bailed us out. She goes, I didn't bail. He goes, some dame. He goes, some dame, right? Kind of thing like, don't talk about Sandra that way. She goes, well, I didn't do it. Get him out. And then, so they're going to the masquerade that night, right? But that's when you start hearing um, Sandra and... and um, Joan Raymond? No, no, oh. Habit. Their their exchange, their little oh, quick exchange there. Yeah. How cutting she is to him. Yeah. How she he's so he's worthless to her because she needs Costello's brain. She goes, I need Wilbur's brain. I don't need Chick. I need Wilbur. And yeah, she'd yeah. love to get rid of Chick. Right. And, and but then she leaves. And he goes, Oh, she didn't give me a kiss. And he goes, and, and then it's Joan Raymond yeah. then kissing him. And you're like, Okay. And he goes, Now you got two women. You know, kind of thing, right? Oh, yeah. And she's the she's the dame who bailed him out. She goes, You leave love at first sight. Of course I do. Like he's just he's so oblivious and clueless to everything. And that's the line. I have said this line before. I've said it to Haley. I said, come here. I get a good look at you in the light. Right. I've said that to Haley. I get over here. I need to get a good look at you in the light. Right. Because now he has two beautiful women who are fawning over him for again, for not the reason we know. Again, no one knows why they're fawning over him. He doesn't care. Chick has no clue. Right, we don't know that Sandra is setting him up to basically become, you know, the brain donator to the the uh, Frankenstein monster. They don't know that Joan Raymond, who we learn in a little quick snippet, there is the investigator, is there trying to find either the the money or the bodies. Like something had to happen, you know, these things, right? Now, where she thinks she's going to find the bodies in their room, I don't know. But anyway, but yeah. she's but she and she can't do. She goes like this: what she says in that little snippet, <clears throat> I can't do my job if they're in jail. They'll lead me to the bodies. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, the thing is, right after, right after the uh, the little interlude with uh, with Joan kissing, yeah, uh, and, and then she leaves. <clears throat> yeah, chick, uh, Abbott grabs grabs Costello by the shirt, pulls it, pull. I got to see you in the yeah, light. Yeah, I got a better look at you in the light. I mean, the, oh. every one of the, it's just there. But, but, but you see what I'm saying? But there is a comedic line that Abbott delivers. Yeah, that's rare. But it hits so perfect. It doesn't sound weird. It doesn't sound fake. It doesn't even sound forced. Because as much as that line is funny, it literally is a line you might say, come here, let me take a look at you. Because because why are these women falling all over themselves for you? You. Yeah. You, you schlub, you know, kind of thing, right? And that's what he's basically saying without saying it so many words. Um, uh, so they go across the, he goes, they go to lock the door and it doesn't work. He goes, this is Talbot's key. <gasps> Mr. Talbot, right? And they go in 
and the room is torn apart. He looks like he goes, you must have been on some bender last night, right? Now, bender is still used, but the implication is that he's a raging alcoholic. Yeah. Now, let's think about something here. We have talked, I mean, uh, well, we haven't talked about it, but I mean, it's been talked about for years. The idea that the werewolf curse is truly the, you know, a curse put upon um, an innocent man and all this other stuff like that. But like, what could that be? Well, we know that Dr. Buckster Hyde is a, you know, a, a metaphor for substance abuse and alcoholism and stuff like that. But isn't the wolf man at times also part of that? Like, you know, somebody who's even a pure of heart can have whatever, like you could be the most, you know, person who is, you know, does the right thing all the time, whatever. And you could have an addiction right. that, you know, ruins your life. Well, I mean, it also, lycanthropy has also been used as a, as a, it also shows, it's also talks about cancer and stuff too. Like you know, a the, metaphor. the metaphor for cancer. It is, it is, it is, it is really hard. Um, sometimes to hear that from people, cause you're like, well, I guess so. But it's like, but when you look at what lycanthropy was people who did nothing wrong, who just happened to, you know, have the bad luck of whatever. Doesn't that sound a lot like, you yeah. know, literally you, you could smoke and drink and do the worst stuff your entire life and never develop cancer, or you could do everything right your entire life and then, you know, die from it at a really young age. Um, and that's what lycanthropy has been done. Whereas, um, even when, uh, with Stevenson's book, uh, and it's about drug abuse, it's about you know, whatever, it's about alcoholism and stuff like that. There is still a little bit of that, um, in lycanthropy because Dr. Mr. Hyde and, and, and the whole werewolf idea, they cross over. They I mean that their, their, um, their Venn diagrams definitely have a shared part in the middle. Yeah. Um, but not as much as obviously some other, like the mad scientist world, which has got a lot, you know, going on yeah. with, uh, I, mean, I, I can, I can, I can understand your point the uh the lycanthropy is is the one of bad luck yeah the the dr jekyll and mr hyde is of abuse yeah right what i'm saying is but some <clears throat> people have likened the idea that addiction because some people yeah. are born addict like i mean like you could be born addicted to things because of something you didn't do Dude, wrong that's right right and but that's what that's where that goes in but much more off much much more often it is likened to dr Webster hyde or even um to a lesser extent, the invisible man, the idea of, of like, I want to control so much in my life that it becomes his, he actually becomes obsessive compulsive with it. I mean, there's, there's things you can read into all of it. It's just like how you can, every single Disney princess is literally just a disorder. Like every mm -hmm. single one of them is when you look at all of the tropes, quote unquote, from the universal horrors, like, uh, there are things in each one of them, like literally Frankenstein's monster. Like the when you read the book, the you know Frankenstein's monster eventually ruins you know his life. Like he wants to make life. You're getting married. You you make life that way. Like you have a kid. Like right. you know what I'm saying. Like there's all these different things. Again, it's much more deep. This is much deeper than Boss Bugs Babe normally is. I'm just saying is that he's they think he's an alcoholic and he thought he's not just a nice guy. And even then, when when Costello makes his joke, then Talbot reacts violently, and you're like, oh. Okay, that fits perfectly. If he had not reacted, you would have said, "Ah, oh, that might have rang not true." But to say that how serious he is, I mean, we both have a date with destiny. You go with send that chick go with destiny. I got other dates. I got my own problems, you know, right? So, but that's the whole thing is that now we know Costello's supposed to go to the. We don't know it's a castle. We just know that's wherever the doctor works, right? And we know wherever that is is where she wants to take his brain out. Right. So it ain't going to end well. 
But what now happens is now he's bringing along Joan and Chick. And what's the first thing that happens when they get there? Well, obviously they meet the other doctor. But what's the first thing Sandra says to him? Who's that? Oh, that's Chick's date, right? He has to lie because now he's like, well, I'm going to get in trouble here. She says, I was hoping you would have been here alone. alone, Right? That's the whole point because it's like now he's setting them up to – and then, then Poop, they, you know, that pop and scoop. And, they, and they're, all, they're all standing down at the bottom of the stairway. And this is the classic thing. Bela Lugosi comes down the stairway yep. just like it was in Dracula. Now, there's not, there's not a lot of cobwebs. He's not wearing a cape. He's, not, yeah. he's wearing yeah. a smoking jacket. Smoking jacket. But <laughs> he's still black. He's still at the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and he's still Bela Lugosi. And he comes down and he introduces himself as Dr. Lejos. And... Uh, <clears throat> They said, "Well, you know, we're all here. They're gonna, we're gonna go to the, mas- a, a, the, the masquerade. masquerade party." And he says, "Oh, you young people, you know, you mu- you get out and you have fun." And uh, <clears throat> I, I, I'm trying to remember how how that goes. He winds up he winds up being an, invited to go. Okay, so what happens is Sandra says uh, they go to powder their nose, right? right? That's right. Yeah. And then so that's where they both learn about each other. Yeah. So she learns that she's got the book for Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. You know, basically. In Young Frankenstein, it says how I did it. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> um, but it's the secrets of life, right? And then uh, Sandra finds out that she's an investigator, right. right? And then Sandra says, I've developed a headache. I can't go. And then she goes, I think the headache will pass. She goes, it won't, right? And she's saying this to Dracula. Right. And so they go on without her. But the idea is that, um, again, they, we, we've skipped a few things here, but they're going to go on without her. And that afterwards she tells him what's going on she goes we need to get him so that's when lugosi goes with her they go together because they got to get it now what happens they go to patter their nose so they walk into the so uh bud and lou walk into the office right and the phone rings but who's calling there it's it's freaking talbot you know kind of number yeah he's like hey who's this who's this this is chick young this is uh you know whatever uh, this is wilbur gray and he goes that they're, they're answering their phone. He goes, oh, you better get it. They're all upstairs. I'm like, that to me is just such a weird thing. Like you're answering their phone. But I'm like, well, yeah, but it's the 40s. You probably would have because someone's yeah, calling. It's important. Yeah, right. There, went, yeah. there wouldn't have been phones all over the whole yeah. castle, right? Um, but that's the line where he goes, he, he, he says whatever. You're, this is you know, it's Dracula, whatever. Hello? Hello? Can you hear the phone? You know, Wilbur, get back over here. And it's all done with dietetic noise. So remember in Targets how there's no music and no anything right. else that you hear when you 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 hear what Talbot's hearing when he's on the phone, you hear the phone drop, and you hear him yelling, "Where are you going? Get back over here!" As he's running out the front door, we hear that. Now again, cut to that scene, right. but that's so effective. It's a throwaway. It's nothing special. Most people probably miss it, but it's so good. It's like hello, hello, like because he, he's literally like. Still having a conversation, and he's running away. So what happens is, <laughs> he's turning her back into the wolf man. So he's you know kind of thing. Got to get. He's he's afraid he's gonna turn into the wolf man. So he hangs up because he's now gonna go where they're going. And they come back. Oh, he's gone, and he hangs up. Now they start looking around. Yeah, and it does. That's that's the uh, the, the slapstick stuff. Yes, and so and, besides and it, the, I say to Haley, get away. I'm getting a good looking in the light. She will even say when I open something and I close the door, she goes, "What's the matter? Broom closet." Right. She says, what's that? Broom closet. Right. She even she knows that line. Having not remembered the movie from when she was a little kid, because she loved Frankenstein. So she loves Frankenstein. So 
she remembers broom closet. Like she just remembers that's what you say. The same way that when you like open a can, you go Fisher, right? You know, kind of thing. That's from Spaceballs. Um, or no, actually, excuse me, that's from MST3K. The Fisher, the Spaceballs, is shh, shh. You know that when they open, they they say shh. They make the doors open and close. Um, she knows that's the line you say. So they go looking, and so he opens the actual broom closet. There's a real broom closet there. And then Costello opens, and it's clearly not. It's, there's stairs, and there's a boat, and it's like the back of the castle. And you're just like, huh. And he goes, what's that? Broom closet. Broom closet. You know, kind of like it's... And he opens the door, and they go down. Now, it's just me. But, like, the there is there is some timing issues about how long it takes to move a coffin and people and things like that that occur in this scene. But it's straight... This, but this is when the only time the horror aspect might have a little comedy to it right. but it has to because there's no way in the world i'm supposed to believe it takes them so so long to move a coffin from inside to outside but then back to where it's going happens in seconds right but you it it it, it ruins it if you don't right but that's such a great scene out there where they're going down the stairs and then, you know, they're trying to figure out, and he leans against the wall, and the wall revolves around, of course, because it does, because why wouldn't it? And he just sits on Frankenstein's lap, and he's, like, picking his nails, and he's picking Frankenstein's mm -hmm. nails, and he's, like, and he's looking at his mm -hmm. hands, and you're, like, oh, you know it's not your hand, you know it, but it's, um, mm -hmm. but, yeah, it, that is where the slapstick stuff yeah. occurs. And, you know, one of the things that, um, in that scene, when he's sitting on Frankenstein's lap, in the uh, the, the special features uh, on the, on the Blu-ray, Costello would sit there and he would do things yeah. to make uh laugh. Yeah. And they had they had they said they had to make so many different takes yeah. of that that they they finally got one where he didn't laugh. Yeah. Right. But you're right, he's picking his the right. he, he's picking his nail, then he goes back to picking his nail. I'm looking at it. And it, but it, but it's just like it's little things like that. It's the little things. And then of course they come out, and then he now is now trapped between Dracula and Frankenstein. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, he goes back in, opens Sesame, he's pressing on the door, the door revolves around, right? And then as soon as he gets out the other side, oh, check, oh, check, oh, check, right? M miraculously, the coffin, Dracula and Frankenstein are against the door, and they revolve just as Chick comes out. Right. Chick is always missing what's happening, which is which is when it eventually happens, when eventually it's all revealed, and it's that Costello has been right the whole time. It's so gratifying, but it also is like the look on Abbott's face, Please. like, like, are you joking? You were right. You weren't lying the whole time. But that whole scene, again, played for laughs. But at the same time, he's trapped on the stairs. The music makes you believe it can happen. Right. Like, you know nothing's going to happen because you got to finish the movie. Now, upstairs at the, at this time, <clears throat> when Joan Raymond's, or not Joan Raymond, when uh, Sandra says, um, um, I've just uh, the, the developed a splitting headache. Yeah. And Dracula says, oh, you, it'll go away. And she says, no, it won't go away. And then he says, well, then come with me. And they go upstairs. Well, and that's, then, so they, that's they, what, leave, they leave. And then that's when she tells her yeah. she's the investigator. Right. Yeah. And so he said, so he says, um, I, I'm trying to remember what the words are, but he says to her, he says, she says, she says to him, I, I, I will not go. And then he says, I, I want you to go. And then she says to him, my will is as strong as yours. And this is the only scene in this entire movie that, doesn't hold water to the myth. He, 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 he uh, like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, it's hypnotizing. You, can't, you can't visualize what I'm doing, yeah. but he's doing the, the thing with his fingers, trying to draw her yeah. consciousness. Yeah. Yeah. He, hypnotizes, right? he hypnotizes her. Yeah. And finally 
she turns into acceptance and she's her face is blank. And then Bela Lugosi leans in and goes to, and goes to bite her on the neck. But they pass a mirror, yes. and you can see yes. Bela Lugosi. Yes. Now it's almost like the director or the producers or whoever, like they didn't know the myth. The whole point of Dracula is that you cannot see him in any mirror in any movie every time, and uh, so that was the that's the only thing. So I wonder, yeah, right. I understand. I wonder if that was just missed because it's not that the whole scene occurs in the mirror. No, it's it's just just, it just it happens to catch him. He does. He could have. They could have had it from the side for him going down and. To get the mirror all together. I understand that. I think it just, the mirror just happened to be on set and then it just yeah. was missed. Um, but yeah, with that aside. So so they go to the masquerade, right? Um, where are we here? Uh, in fact, the house of Dracula. Dracula under the... Okay, I'm going to catch up. Um, at the masquerade, uh, Talbot accuses Dr... Okay, so they get to the masquerade party and Talbot meets them there, right? And they're going to put on their mask. And, Tal- and uh, Abbott's mask is a werewolf. And uh, Talbot says, don't wear that. Like, just don't, right? And he's like, oh, okay. And then they inhabit a encounter with McDougal, uh, where the guy with the, again, played for the laughs, where McDougal assaults uh, uh, Costello. And then the guy in the armor can't see because he keeps dropping in front of his face, um, which is really funny. Um, so at the masquerade ball, uh, Talbot accuses Laos of being Dracula, uh, but no one takes him seriously. And he goes, my costume, perhaps, right? Uh, Joan then soon disappears and Sandra lures Wilbur into the woods and then uh, attempts to bite him, but fails, right? Uh, while looking for Joan, Talbot uh, turns into the Wolfman and winds up attacking McDougal. And of course, they blame Abbott, yeah. thinking that he's some crazy person trying to take a bite out of his neck. And Chick doesn't help. He goes, Chick, bite at him too. He wants to bite at me. But what happens? The werewolf, now the Wolfman's going to get him again, right? And he gets caught in the vines, right? And he can't break free. And and then, you know, it's like, you can get out of there. He kicks him in the butt. Like, Costello does all these things until he realizes, oh, wait, this isn't Abbott. This is a real wolf man. And then runs away. Right. And then he, that's when he gets uh, caught by, um, what do you call it? He gets caught by, um, Sandra. Uh, so, uh, where, um, they go to accuse who escapes. Okay. Dracula hypnotizes Wilbur. Chick is also hypnotized and rendered helpless while Dracula and Sandra bring Wilbur, Stevens, and Joan back to the castle. The next morning, Chick and Talbot meet up in the bayou and set out to rescue both Wilbur and Joan. Uh, so that's when they're going to get they have to get to the they have to get there, right? And and Talbot's like, "Well, we got time. He's powerless during the day. That'd be the perfect time to go. Like, uh, let's not wait till like you know almost sundown, but we do because um, the movie needs it." Uh, so Wilbur is he's now he's now trapped, right? And he's trying to like you know he's trying to get help, and he's trying to go. He's going, Junior. Sandra, right? He's yelling to them, right? And it's Frankenstein sitting in the chair and he's got the yoke across his neck and she's standing there, you know? So, um, obviously, um, the, 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 what do you call it? Um, Abbott and, and, and Talbot, um, you know, chicken and, and Talbot show up there and they're going to try to free them. So they free custom, they get him, and that's the scene where he's trying to break it, putting the rock on his finger, you know, whatever. And again, all this little stuff, they are get, able to get away, and they're trying to they're trying to now get out, and they go back for, but they go back for Joan. That's the whole thing. Like they go back in to get her. I don't. I mean, I, I again, I understand why they're going back for get her, but it's like 
she's like, you've only known her a day. Like, you know, like I'm just saying I might not have gone back, but you know, that's maybe me. Right. And that's when they tell Wilbur to get the boat ready. And of course, Dracula comes and he's Wilbur so feebly minded. He's easily, you know, like, let's go. You know, he's hitting he again. And then he skips into the castle. Right. He skips right away. So they get him upstairs on the operating table. Now they're going to cut his, you know, cut his open, take his brain out, put it in Frankie's body. Right. And he goes, you don't want my brain. It doesn't work well. Ask me what one plus one is. I don't know. You know, kind of thing. And it's all those. But now they're getting him hooked at the table. And now we have all of our universal horror movies. The, they're the two tables. They're strapped down. You have all of the different equipment. The, the, nothing does anything. Just lights it all up. You know. Um, and then, of course, um, uh, so they start chasing. Okay. So they start going and getting They're going to try to. So they get up to the lab. Right. And as Talbot is trying to undo um, Wilbur's straps. He goes, what's the matter? Someone else after me? And he looks out the window and goes, what? What are you looking at? What are you looking at? And he looks back and now it's the, when he's a wolf man. The wolf, the wolf. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What I'm saying is, but like Wilbur is so oblivious that the guy helping him is turning into he's a, a werewolf. werewolf. Um, he turns. So now we get the scene where Wilbur gets spun and he's spinning around. And then we have, this is, and this is the only time this happens in any universal horror movie where Lon Chaney's Wolfman and um, Bela Lugosi's Dracula actually fight each other. Yeah. It has never happened anywhere else. People had begged for it, begged for it for years. It never happened. It happens here. And their fight is throughout the entire castle. Now that involves Dracula grabbing a chair and trying to fend him off, right. throwing things at each other, a lot of jumping. Right. Um, it the, is. Frankenstein Well, literally chasing. Right. Uh, okay. So now Frankenstein's on the table, right? So he's like, get me out of here. So, so, um, so now, uh, so Chick comes back to get Wilbur out. And that's when Frankenstein, you know, the, the everything starts sparking, right? Yeah, he breaks the chain, and he breaks wakes him up, yeah. and he starts popping it out there. And then so Sandra goes, you know, tells him back, back. And this is where it's Lon Chaney. He picks her up, presses her above his head, and throws her clean out the window. Now, how is that accomplished? With a wire, you can kind of see right. it. She, the way she flies, because it's 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 not a dummy; it's a stunt person. Because um, it certainly wasn't her. They were wired, and they pulled. The wire pull through. You can kind of see the jerk on the back, but they still had to get him up. Lon Chaney still had to get her up there, and that's because Glenn Strange broke his ankle. Now, Glenn Strange is the monster in the entire chase scene, which is why he's moving the way he. You ever notice how he moves? He kind of he limps back and forth. I wrote that down. Yeah, that is because he broke his ankle. And now they had originally said, "Well, we, um, you know, Lon Chaney goes, look, I'm not on this movie to be the monster. That's Glenn's part." Glenn's like, I can do it. So they gave him a couple days and then he was able to get the cast removed and just wrap it up. Now, again, he's probably got some kind of like, again, this is 1948. This is not like today, kind of like where you'd have a 3D printed cast with whatever. He's probably got it wrapped real good. Yep. The, the shoes are on, but the way Frankenstein monster is moving now is not the same way he was moving before. Right. He looks like he's, it's almost like he's a robotic thing. He's a stump. Dump, yeah. Dump, yeah. Dump. Well, because you would see, he can't, the foot never, one foot comes up, the other kind of slides, Slide. which if it was a mummy, would have been really easy to do. You just drag it behind you, do the old Lon Chaney, you know, dragon reach uh, kind of thing, which is what it is, Kaharis does compared to Imhotep. Um, you know, Imhotep's just about bringing people back from the dead. Uh, and of course, now we have Frankenstein's monster chasing him. They they close the door. That's Bart. He'll never get in here. And he opens the door oh. the other way. And then, of course, they lock him in the room. He punches through and grabs him by the side of the head. And it's just, as they're fighting, they're trying to find different rooms to go to. And here's Dracula and the Wolfman fighting back into that room. 
leading to two of the more famous scenes in the movie um, from this is Lon Chaney as uh, fighting, you know, uh, with Bella Lugosi. Lugosi throws the the whatever at him, puts his arms up, turns into vampire, and the Wolfman jumps and grabs him, and they fall. Uh, even though it's clearly a dummy falling because it's really badly done, um, but that when he turns into the bat, when people had always said like, "Oh my god!" Like, okay, like yeah, now he's gonna get away. Oh no! Like both of them appear to be dead, and we know they're not. But like the whole point is like that scene is so famous for that part of it that it's like you literally like, oh, he's getting it away. Oh no, he's not getting away. Like yeah. now they both plummet right, and now they're getting to the boat. And he's like, untie the boat. And he's they're trying to paddle. He's untie the boat. He literally says it a dozen times. And he just won't untie the boat. But here comes the Frankenstein's monster. And you can see him limping. He gets to the gate. And you're like, okay. Now the gate is obviously pulled. Right. And the gate, she bursts the gate open. And now we have, because Dracula is now dead, quote unquote, right? He's incapacitated. Joan and, um, what's his name? Um, the other scientists come out of it. They go to save Bun Lu. And they fill up the, the, the was it gasoline, right? Or yeah, kerosene on the, uh, on no, the docks. The pier, on the pier, yeah. And they set the dock on fire. The scene of Frankenstein, when he turns and he puts his hands out, walking towards the flames, that image of Glenn Strange has been used and redone over and over. And then what happens? He's walking, he's walking. And now, what? whoever that is, if that's a person. Yeah, it's supposedly not. Okay, it's 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 just it's, it's a it is a it is a mock-up uh, that being pulled right being pulled and 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 because it doesn't he, he as the flames are coming up and he's he's being engulfed he's standing right in the middle of the dock but he's moving yeah. as he moves forward so yeah. okay so the thing is um, anybody who listens to the vault always hears how much I always will give stuntmen props for doing burn scenes I mean burn scenes are crazy um, but there is no way that someone could safely do that burn scene. He he's completely engulfed in fire. The only way you do that burn scene is if there is literally a, a wall around you and you were standing in the middle with a trap door dropping you out. And even then that's super dangerous because that collapses, you're on fire and there's no one saving your life because the smoke inhalation alone would kill you. So, but it's, it's such a famous scene of like him putting his hands up to the fire and then walking into the fire. You're like, Okay, did he walk into the fire because he didn't know better, yeah, or, did, or is, did he walk into the fire because he was like he wanted to kill himself? Because that's been talked about. Like, did the did the monster realize that like this was my chance to escape this because he's in pain? Is it whatever? Now I think it's because he just doesn't know what he's doing. He just walks. Yeah, he's, remember he's he's going after after. Yeah, uh, I mean, if, if Costello is an upgrade, you know, I'm just saying for brains. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's again a great scene there. And of course, then in the boat, you know, and he goes, well, you listen, Mr. Chick Young, when I say I saw something, you believe I saw what I say I saw. And then you see the cigarette come up and light itself. And you're like, what is going on behind them? And it looks like a mistake on the film. And of course, it's Vincent Price nice playing movie. The Invisible Man, which is such a great end to that movie. It's so like poignant. And Vincent Price, 1948, this is pre yeah. becoming yeah. Vincent Price, Vincent yeah. Price, you know, um, kind of thing. But he is famous enough. Um, and the voice is just so iconic, right. you know, kind of thing. So, um, yeah, one of the things that we, 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 I think you mentioned it just, just briefly. Yep. There are two transformations yep. in, in this, in this movie. And if you watch it closely, you can, I, you swear that that was the, maybe the only thing that was in color, but it's done so well 
where Dracula stands there and he puts his arms out and then the body morphs into the, bat, the animation. Into the bat. Yeah. And then when he rematerializes, the bat's there and then he's puts yeah. he goes they those those scenes are I mean it's they're perfect for the for this because the, the like you said, we said as many times, the horror part is horror. Yeah. They would have used that in any other uh, of the Dracula of the, movie, of course Dracula they did. Movies. Yeah. So um obviously uh uh you know again this movie's again like we said it was you know it's, it's in the national film registry it's all this stuff lon cheney himself um uh i don't know he he was a mess i mean i feel i feel bad for him i do i understand his life was never what he thought it was going to be and he, you know he, but he he um he he used to say he he used to enjoy horror films when they were thought uh when when uh when they were thought and sympathy involved um, but then they become comedies and Abbott Costello ruined horror films, uh, making buffoons out of the monsters. And he said that, and I think it's more just him being hurt. Um, because I don't know how you can, you could actually see this movie and feel that they made a mockery of the monsters because they're not, the monsters aren't played for laughs. And I think that's a lot more. And I, and I don't mean this to be negative because Lon Chaney Jr. Again, is not here to defend himself either. Um, I think a lot of that was, um, his addictions talking, his, yeah. you know, his, his, his monsters, the monsters that Lon Chaney portrayed on the screen might've been terrifying and scared people. I mean, literally scared people. Um, but I think the, the demons inside him, uh, were so much stronger than anything he could ever, you know, overcome. And, and I, and I say that as somebody who loves the Wolfman and loves Lon Chaney yeah. and like, you know, stuff like that. And, and when you, when you meet, um, uh, his, his, well, it's his grandson now, right? And you kind of think it's because it's not just his son, it was his son, but his grandson now. When you meet all the people that are involved um, with Henry Hull's grandson, you know, kind of thing, uh, you know, as part of the arc, you know, no one, I mean, no one ever talks about that stuff because, because it's like, we don't need to talk about it. Like, we can just celebrate what they were and stuff like that, you know. Um, no one talks about, well, you know, your grandfather's an alcoholic and he was this and he was that. And I mean, everyone knows that. Everyone knows he was. Everyone knows he was miserable. Everyone knows he was like, he, he, you, he well, could he, just see it in him. It was hard for him. It was impossible for him to live. Well, he could never be, he could never be his dad. To, to, to be his father. Yeah, never could be his dad. And again, he, he was typecast from the word go. And yet, he was in Of Men and Mice. Of Mice and Men, yeah, Of Mice and Men, yeah. Of Mice and Men. Yeah. He was, he's Lenny. Yeah. And it's, it's an Oscar-worthy performance. Yeah. That obviously he didn't get, but he, I think he was nominated. And he's, it, it's really funny when you watch these things, you only think of him as the Wolfman. But, he will pop up not as the star in a movie, but as as a, mm. as an extra here and something there. Yeah. I I would like to see. He's he was in a movie called Spider Baby, which is he's really really good in. Yeah. I mean, yes, people. The, the indestructible man. Yeah, well, people remember like alligator people, like I'll get yeah. you, alligator yeah. man. It's like okay, we get it. Like he doesn't play the alligator guy. No. He doesn't play any of those things. He's he's the you know the guy in the bayou. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, um, you know. It's it's we're at a point where I don't think, and again, I only mention this because it was just I want to be you know be being thorough about like you know Cust Abin Costello didn't want to do the movie, you know Cheney's had negative things to say, but yet the movie itself was so successful. And when you look at it, it when you, when you step back, I mean, again, I'm not there making it. Obviously, when you step back and look at the movie, you can see that they made the horror stuff horror, the comedy stuff comedy, and when they touch each other, there might be times when the like maybe the comedy kind of gets pushed a little down the horror happens, but you're never, you're never making the monsters, the butt of the jokes. Um, this is very different than when we were speaking about like 
uh, um, Young Frankenstein or right. uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It, where those are straight comedies where the monster is the joke. Right. And yet, in the sequels to this, you know, the uh, uh, the, the, the killer voice, Carlos, the, the comedy is there. There's The horror is, it, it's hardly there. Yeah. And it, it, even the one where they meet the mummy, the, the mummy looks like, yeah. I mean, He's in a he's in a a, a cloth suit yeah. and you can see the zipper. Okay, but and, but the thing no, I, I think the, and that's what I'm saying is yeah. that this movie, the horror is is done straight. Yeah. In the in the sequels, they were just done to capitalize yep. on yep. on the, yep. the success of this movie. Yeah. And as you go through the cycle, even getting down to the Invisible Man, they're as funny as they as some of the lines might be. They don't hold a candle to this one. Yeah, and that's the whole point, is that is that literally sometimes your your best movie is your first one. Sometimes your best movie is one of your sequels after you kind of figured it out. This was at the end of the cycle for this was the end of the cycle for um Universal Horror. I mean, this right. is the end of the horror. This is the yeah. this this most people point to this to be the end of the horror cycle. Um and then Abbott Costello at this point had already been very famous and stuff like that. So it wasn't that they weren't, you know, at, at there, but they were not this wasn't you know, their zenith, but right. this movie culminates both of them together right. and it actually hits and, as both their and best. The sequels wound up being something that my brother and I would have seen at the, yeah. you know, five weeks after, after it had come out in the yeah. movie says as one of the, the Saturday morning, you know, uh, extras. But remember, this is 1948. Yeah. 1950 is the thing. Then you've got all the other science fiction movies mm -hmm. that now were starting to populate the, uh, uh, the, Day of the world, the uh, you know the day, uh, day the earth stood still. Day the earth stood still, and so, and right, and then right after that, then you got back into not the horror horror because you had the werewolf, but you didn't have a lot of others. <clears throat> you got into them, and the creature movies. Well, yeah, well, not, okay. I mean, so, now so, the 50s, so now, yeah, the fifties was the big bug era. Yeah, and once you had big bugs, as silly as some of those movies might seem, they are played straight. Yeah, and even the creature black lagoon comes after that. Yep. Creature Black Goon is played a hundred percent straight. There is not one. Nothing is funny in that movie. Um, I know we joke about the uh, Revenge of the Creatures about all about climbing ladders because it is, and uh, you know, Creature Walks Among Us is all about like how can we cut to another indoor scene so we can not have to film outside. Um, but those movies are played straight. The creature has never made the butt of the jokes. Now, did they eventually on like Route sixty six and things like that on television make right. monsters butts of the jokes? I, we can't control what people do outside of a film, but it's not 1948 and it's not Abbott Frankenstein. So, all right, folks. So we have talked about this movie again. If you've never seen this, it's 75 oh. years old and it's still going to be funnier than anything you're going to see. Um, go check it out. Now, uh, up next, uh, the, the back end of July, dad and I have a feedback episode. We're going to talk about all your feedback. We have anything, any, so if you have any feedback, you hear this and you'd like to get on there, um, just, you know, send it in next time we do a feedback. Dad and I are going to be doing the feedback episode um, for what we have in the mailbag. But in August, um, even though it's only the 39th anniversary, it's not quite 40, we're going to talk about um, the fourth installment of Friday the 13th, which is not actually called Friday the 13th Part 4. It's called Friday the 13th, the final chapter. And we'll talk about that in August. But again, we have um, feedback coming up. We got that coming up. And then we have a whole slew of stuff coming up this fall, including Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, 1943, the 80th anniversary, the movie that... Believe, well, not directly for House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein directly for this, but this is one of the ones that leads us to Abigail Me Frankenstein, right. um, which, again, a movie played completely straight. I mean, that movie is 
that movie is a hundred percent straight. There, there is no laughing in that whole thing. So, um, so I think about does it for us, Dad, on this. Yes. Yeah, of course. Um, again, if you haven't checked it out, it's it's rarely available. Um, you can rent it uh, or buy it through um, Prime Video, of course. Um, but any of the Universal horror sets, if you have any of the individuals, whether the Frankenstein, the Dracula, whatever, it's in them. It's in them, right? If you don't own those, um, and you're looking to buy them all individually, don't buy the whole set together for like a hundred bucks instead of buying each one of them individually for like twenty five to thirty, because you're going to spend twenty five to thirty on Dracula, Frankenstein, right. the Wolfman, the Invisible Man. The Creature of Black Lagoon, before you know it, you're spending $175 on something that costs you $100. So if you're into physical media, I know not all of us are. I love it. Anyway, so that about wraps it up for here, folks. Again, if you have any feedback, we'd love to hear from you. So like we say around here, keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies. This is Tokyo, once a city of 6 million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters, or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman, or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. Please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your Daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. This has been an episode of Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. If you'd like to contact me, please email the show at botsbugsbabes at gmail.com. If you'd like to find me online, I'm on Facebook under my name, Jason Jacknetti. I often contribute to the Two True Freaks Facebook group. You can visit my Facebook page, The Art of Horror Collective, and you can search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective. On Instagram, find me under my name, Jason Jacknetti. And search the hashtag, The Art of Horror Collective, as well as the new hashtag, Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter, at Jason Giaconetti. And you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will you stop?